Welcome to Addicted to Busy, the podcast specifically for overachieving property managers who are dying for a little more work-life balance in their lives. Each week, we dismantle all the BS that holds us back. You'll learn how to nix those tricky, self-sabotaging habits so that you have the time, energy, and motivation to create what you really want in life. If you're looking to shift from overcommitted to overjoyed, this is the podcast for you. Let's do this. Now, your host, Anna Havalyana. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited to chat with you today about a life hack that has truly changed my life. It's simple and difficult all at once, but I promise that if you commit to it 100%, you're going to be able to create some amazing results and transformations for yourself. So it's no surprise that I'm pretty obsessed with personal development, crazy goals, and coaching. And sometimes I feel like I have to temper myself around others who aren't really into that kind of stuff. But this is literally why coaching is my dream job. Next week, I'm going to be speaking live and in person at Boma, Indianapolis. And we're going to spend an hour going over some of my favorite topics, mainly how to improve our ability to focus and how to set really great boundaries with our time so that we can be both super efficient at work and super present for our friends and loved ones. Now, the trouble with speaking at in-person events is that I usually only get about 45 minutes to talk and there are so many things that I want to talk about, which is why I'm excited that I have this podcast. What I'm not going to get the chance to speak about at this upcoming presentation is why it's so crucial to gain awareness around our self-sabotaging habits. So let's do a quick recap on the addicted to busy process. Step one, we unpack what's getting in our way. Things like scrolling on Instagram, staying up late watching Netflix, and consistently overeating are all robbing us of so much time and energy. In today's episode, we're going to go talk about how to create your own personal pro forma. And this is going to give you very clear data as to how your habits are costing you time, energy, and in some cases, money. Step two, once we've narrowed in on those habits and reclaimed some of that time and energy, we focus on working intentionally and efficiently. This is where we amp up our productivity by implementing some much needed boundaries and learning how and when to say no. And this is what we're going to dive into at the BOMA Indianapolis luncheon. Finally, step three. Once we've stopped self-sabotaging and started working more efficiently, now we get to the good part. There will be so much more time and energy available to you to get back to what you want to do. That could be anything. That could be spending more time with your family, picking up an old hobby, or maybe taking a real vacation. Eventually, all three of these steps start working together and it gets even better. When you are doing things that truly make you happy, you really don't need those old self-sabotaging habits anymore. Plus, when you have fun and interesting things scheduled for yourself, you actually want to be more efficient at work because you get excited for what you're doing outside of your job. And this is balance. A life where work supports a filling life and a fulfilling life makes work worthwhile. 
So today we are doing a deep dive into overdoing it. When I say overdoing it, I'm specifically referring to behaviors that in and of themselves aren't necessarily harmful, but the degree to which we do them has caused them to become harmful to either our health or our happiness. And here are a few classic examples. There's nothing wrong with watching a few episodes of your favorite show in the evening. It becomes a problem when Netflix or Hulu are impeding upon your eight hours of sleep each night. There's nothing wrong with a glass or two of wine at a networking event or on a night out with friends. It becomes a problem when you need at least one glass every night because it's the only thing that settles you down from your workday. There's nothing wrong with checking in on Instagram or Facebook for a few minutes. It becomes a problem when you get sucked into the hole and you're spending more time in a false reality as opposed to the one that you actually live in. Now, I'm here to tell you that this episode is not intended to make you feel guilt or shame. This episode is intended to empower you to look at what's going on so that you can get more of what you want out of life. I will be the first to admit that I fall into these traps all the time. Taking hold of them has not been easy, but it has been really rewarding. So today we're going to discuss, number one, why we overdo it. Number two, we'll talk about why sometimes it feels like we're doing things out of our own free will. Third, we'll talk about a simple tool that you can use to get a handle on all of this. And then number four, I'm even going to give you a preview into some of the challenges you might face along the way. That way, you know what to expect and how to set yourself up for success. Basically, I'm going to tell you everything that I wish I would have known in the year 2013 when I was working 50 to 60 hours a week, eating takeout every other night, and drinking to avoid my pain. (laughs) So to start, why do we overdo it? To understand this, we need a very basic psychology recap. Okay, so your brain has three main functions. That is to seek pleasure, avoid pain, and then be efficient at seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. And this is called the motivational triad. Next, your brain has two important parts, the primal brain and the prefrontal cortex. Your primal brain is where the fight or flight response is generated. And the primal brain is much more impulsive and it's obsessed with instant gratification. When we're operating from our primal primal brain, I love to call this operating from toddler mode. When we're in toddler mode, we're much more reactive and overly emotional. On the flip side, the prefrontal cortex is responsible for planning and thinking. It can process information so that you can make decisions that benefit you in the long run. This is the part of our brain that can think about our thinking. That's a little trippy, right? This part of our brain is much more patient and open to feeling discomfort. When we let our prefrontal cortex run the show, we're operating from boss mode or what some people refer to as their higher self. Now, when you need to make a flash decision, it's more likely that you're going to be operating from toddler mode. And keep in mind, its goal is to seek pleasure and avoid pain. This is why we overdo things. 
things like Netflix, cookie, beer, gossip, TikTok, or shopping allow us to seek pleasure and avoid pain right away. It allows us to avoid what's really going on in our lives. Simply put, you know you're overdoing it because you're doing something that feels great in the current moment, but is likely to make you feel guilt or shame later. Honestly, overworking is a way of overdoing things as well. It feels good in the moment to get shit done. It feels good in the moment to look like a dedicated employee. But it feels awful later when we are deprived of time with our family, friends, hobbies, or interests. I remember hitting a point in my career where I had won all the awards, got the promotion I wanted, and yet I felt unfulfilled and useless. <laughs> I was giving all of my time to my job and my job became my life. I forgot that the income from my salary was meant to fuel my interests in creativity outside of work. Instead, I was using my salary as a marker of how good an employee I was. Or to be completely honest, I was using my salary as an indicator of my self-worth. Gross. <laughs> now, now that we know what our brain is doing, it makes complete sense how bad habits form. Since we know that our brain is seeking pleasure and being efficient, it's no wonder why we're overdoing it. Overdoing it hits two points of that motivational triad right at the onset. Seek pleasure, avoid pain. The only part missing from that triad is being efficient. Your brain doesn't want to have to think about every little tiny thing that you do. In your mind's eye, I want you to imagine a little kid learning how to brush their teeth. It is seriously painful to watch as they get toothpaste all over their PJs, water all over the sink, and toothpaste all up with their face. But over time, their brains will learn the process of effectively getting toothpaste onto the brush, containing the water to the sink, and keeping the toothpaste in their mouths. This is automation. This is an example of the brain taking a complex process and making it into a habit that no longer has to be thought through step by step. And this is also what's happening with our overdoing it habits. Think about it. Do you actually think to yourself, I wonder what's happening on Instagram? No, it's, it's more likely that you picked the phone up and opened the app in less than two seconds without a conscious thought. All of a sudden, Instagram has successfully hit all three corners of that motivational triad. Now, keep in mind, if we're operating from toddler mode, our brains are not thinking about our long-term health or well-being. Our brains are thinking about the here and the now, and we're more likely to do things that feel great in the moment but feel crappy later. This is why it often feels like we're doing things out of our own free will or like we can't control ourselves. I can't tell you how many times I've coached someone who is personally shaming themselves for falling into these habits when, all things considered, their brain is just doing what it's designed to do. If you've ever felt embarrassed or frustrated because you can't quit doing something that bugs the crap out of you, all I want you to know is that you're human. Welcome to the club. 
we are all flawed. <laughs> so pull up a chair and come on in. Now, this isn't to say to just give up all hope and keep doing things that you don't want to do. If you want to make a change in your life, you have all of the means to do it. It's not easy to change a habit and you will fail multiple times along the way. But if you commit to getting the support you need and never giving up, you can quit overdoing it and get back to creating more of what you love. So today we are going to create your own personal pro forma that you can use to gain awareness around these habits and start gaining power over them. As property managers, we use performas in real estate all the time. And to be completely honest, I hated putting these together. I shouldn't say that I hated it. They actually weren't that bad. But I just didn't like the pressure of having to try and be a fortune teller about a property that I knew nothing about. If we have any assistant managers or leasing agents listening, let me give you a very unprofessional and general overview of what a pro forma is. So we typically see a pro forma when an investor is buying a new property. And it looks a lot like a budget, but here's the catch. You know very little about the property at hand. So you get to take your best educated guess on what the revenue will be, what the operating expenses will be, and what you can potentially do to the property to improve your NOI. Now, the same thing is going to happen with your personal pro forma you're gonna take a look at one key aspect of your life, make some assumptions about what your current habits are, take some guesses on how you can improve that habit, and then you'll evaluate your progress, reforecast your efforts, and try again. You guys, the process of reversing a bad habit is so similar to manage, managing a property, it's ridiculous. You make changes and investments in yourself you watch what it does to the bottom line, you focus on preventative maintenance over emergency maintenance, and you care for that asset like you would your home. All right, so the process to do this is very simple. Step one, create a reasonable plan. The key word here is reasonable. I did not say create a perfect plan. So let's say, for example, that you want to focus on reducing the time you spend on Instagram. If your screen time tells you that you are on that app for an hour a day, I wouldn't just jump down to 15 minutes a day. Instead, ask yourself, what's challenging enough that I step into boss mode, but not so unreasonable that I set myself up for failure? Step two, anticipate it's not going to go perfect. Have you ever had a new property that performed exactly as the pro forma projected it would? Me either. <laughs> Listen, you will have good days and you will have bad days. Open yourself up to this and drop the perfectionism. When we anticipate we won't do things perfectly, we eliminate the need to berate ourselves when things don't go to plan. So many people think that the only way to get themselves to change is to push, force, judge, and criticize themselves. But all that does is create pain in your life. And new pain is the perfect entry for overdoing it and stepping back into that motivational triad. So instead, let's move to step three. 
Coach yourself on your feelings and your reactions. When you anticipate that you won't do it perfectly and you stop the shame cycle, you open up space to evaluate your reactions and feelings. From there, you're in a better space to celebrate and expand on what worked, as well as take a look at what didn't work. And this moves us to step four, which is to reforecast your plan. Once you have seven full days of committing to your pro forma and you've watched your wins and losses, it's time to reevaluate. At this stage, now you can see what you're capable of and you have more information and data to predict what you can do in the future. You want to use what you know to make better educated guesses on what you can do going forward. From here, you're just going to rinse and recycle that process over and over again. It's important to make sure that your plan is not overly complex. Simplicity is crucial because when we keep things simple, we give ourselves a chance to see what our brain is doing. As an example, when I set the proforma that I didn't want to eat between meals, that became the only thing I focused on. The second that I was tempted to drive to Starbucks in the middle of my workday or grab something from the office candy dish, I knew immediately that there was something I was avoiding. I was trying to seek pleasure and avoid pain. And the simplicity of my plan helped me zone in when it was happening. What I found was that I typically tried to avoid completing certain reports. And when I got a hold on this, I was able to refocus myself on my work and get it done quicker because I wasn't procrastinating. The process is simple and it's eye-opening what you can learn about yourself. But before you run off making 20 different pro formas for every aspect of your life, I do want to give you a heads up on some of the challenges that you will likely bump into along the way. First of all, focus on one habit at a time. Listen, I have fallen into the trap of wanting to change everything about myself at once, and I'm here to tell you it never works. In fact, it usually backfires. Case in point, if you've ever been on a crash diet and then binged on food, you know exactly what I'm talking about. One habit at a time. And I can already hear a few of you panicking and saying, hey, but I'm overeating and I'm overscrolling and I'm procrastinating. And I get it. There are many aspects of ourselves that we wish we could change. What I want to reassure you is that what you learn from changing one habit will eventually translate into the other habits. So here's an example of this. I first hired a coach because I wanted to lose weight. And my coach took me through a process pretty similar to the one that I've described here. Each week, we made a plan for what I was going to eat. And each week, anytime I ate off of that plan, I had to dig into what was actually going on and uncover what I was trying to avoid by eating. The plan started revealing to me when I was ignoring difficult conversations or emotions. Now, once I hit my goal weight, I started to shift my focus onto time management and lo and behold, managing my time was really similar to, similar to managing my weight. I would make a plan for how I was going to use my time each day. And then sure enough, 
I would want to do something else or skip what was on my schedule. It was just like my meal plan. From there, anytime I wanted to skip out on my schedule, I had to do the work of figuring out what was really going on. In most cases, I was procrastinating because I was worried about either not doing things right or making mistakes. So hear me out. Focus on one habit at a time and trust that what you learn with that one habit will somehow transfer over into the next one. Next, anticipate that you will face negative emotions. It is too easy to listen to this podcast and think that now you have a solution and that you'll implement it and that everything will be fine and dandy. And I cannot tell you how many diet plans that gave me that same false hope. This is precisely why diets alone don't work. They don't prepare you for the mental shift that you need to make in order to adopt new habits. Hear me out. If you are trying to change a habit, you will face resistance, frustration, and anxiety. But when you're willing to just feel that emotion, you'll feel so much better in the long run. It's kind of like we flip the motivational triad around. We avoid pleasure in the current moment so that we don't have to feel pain later. Take, for instance, the weight loss goal I just mentioned. There were so many nights I wanted to end my day with a pint of ice cream. Not eating the ice cream felt awful in the moment, but the feeling I had waking up the next morning feeling refreshed and guilt-free, that was pretty priceless. All right, caveat number three, you will struggle to track the habit. I've coached enough people to know that the first habit to get into is making the habit of tracking your habits. (laughs) It's a process, but it is so worth it because once you consistently track your habit, you start giving yourself data that you can actually work with. And once you do that, you start gaining traction. You start creating evidence that you can change your patterns. So like I mentioned, anticipate that you'll make mistakes and choose to do this anyways. Finally, I want you to be open to the idea that even once you get a hold of a tricky habit, it can and will return. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with this. This is one of my favorite parts of the process. Our brains love to be efficient. And when faced with a new challenge or something unfamiliar, our brains are going to grasp at anything and everything that might make us feel better. I was coaching someone who had been a client of mine for over six months, and she did a beautiful job of breaking down some challenging habits, mainly scrolling and drinking wine on weeknights. As a result of reducing her overdoing it habits, she started to take on bigger challenges for herself. And as she embarked on those challenges, the scrolling and the drinking returned. Now, she immediately started panicking and worrying that all the hard work she did was for nothing. But what she couldn't see was that because she was taking on new challenges, she would inevitably face obstacles that she didn't yet know how to overcome. And when that happens, your brain perceives that challenge as painful. And that's when the motivational triad kicks back in. I know for myself that my overdoing it habits are nothing to stress over. In fact, now I look at them as a cue. 
When I see that my screen time on social media is over 20 minutes a day, I know without a doubt that there is something that I'm avoiding or a confrontation that I'm trying to get away from. My overdoing it habits are no longer something to wrestle with or be frustrated with. Now they're here as these amazing clues as to where I need to place my attention. Listen, many people won't want to take a look at their habits because of how it might make them feel. But the reality is that most of us already don't feel great with our current habits. So we might as well intentionally step into that discomfort so that we can see what's actually going on and do something about it. What I know now is that when we really learn how to drop the self-judgment, changing habits isn't a tedious task. I see it more like a fun challenge or an exploration. All right. If you found yourself in any of this, if it interests you at all, I would love to guide you through this process. Check out our website to schedule a free one-on-one coaching session. You can find me at AnnaHavoyana.com. That's A-N-N-A-J-A-V as in vacuum, E-L-L-A-N-A.com. Thanks for spending some time with me today. I love you. Keep going. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Addicted to Busy. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.